Father God, I, I am honored to take this pulpit from a great Bible teacher, and um, I'm thankful to be here with this group of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Lord, we are new creatures. <clears throat> you have created us new. You've sealed us with your Holy Spirit, and you have made us people who perform these good works that you have for us, and that's to love you and to love others. Help us, Lord, to focus on this. As your people, this is who we are. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when you first meet someone and we introduce ourselves, I want you to think for just a minute about how you identify. We often say our names. And often we say what we do or something along those lines. Even as we get to know people, we kind of identify not really any longer with our name necessarily. We try to find commonalities, right? But we often sort of identify ourselves by saying we're not this. Or we identify ourselves based on social things. Again, career, hobbies. We identify based on maybe... um, ethnic groups or political groups or things like that, and somewhere way, way down later, we might mention that we're Christian. And I realize that's a social thing, and I'm not trying to say shame on us for doing that, but I I hope that we have times in private where we can really concentrate on, on who we are. So I'm Ohioan by birth and South Carolinian by choice, right? Um... My wife was born in Iowa. Danny was born here in Charleston. The rest of our family was born in Ohio. So we can't choose those things, right? None of us chooses where we're born. There's lots of things we can't choose about ourselves, right? This is what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in in John 3. And we're all familiar with that. But there are some things we we can choose. Now, depending on what maybe circle you look into, um, it, it maybe is what initiates that choice for us to follow Christ. But for those of us who are Christian, I'm going to say that's our identity. That's who we are. First and foremost, that is who we are. So I hope that we don't become fixated more on these things that are external to that, right? So that should be the center of our identity and from everything else, you know, everything else we are should flow from that. So for 14 years, a long time ago, I was a vegetarian. For the first nine months of that, I was vegan, and that was brutal. I'm just going to say that was brutal. That was awful. I do not recommend that. But that was, that was back in 1990, okay? That's a tough life back in 1990. Um, and I quickly learned that I needed to be ovo-lacto-vegetarian, which means you, you know, eat milk and, or dairy and eggs and stuff like that. That was just a matter of survival, Okay. So I remember going, uh, so that was when I was in, I was living in Surfside Beach when all of that started. So I moved back to Ohio, and I was at a sub shop, and I ordered a sub. I said, I want a, a vegetable sub. What's on the vegetable sub? And so the young woman named every vegetable in the establishment, and things that weren't even vegetables, like sunflower seeds and grapes and stuff, right? And she said, and also, your choice of cheese. I said, what, what kinds of cheese do you have? And she said, we have both kinds, both kinds of cheese. (laughs) And um, that sounded great, um, but I said, what what are the both kinds? And she said, well, we have white and orange. 
right? So, I, now I understood there was a surcharge for this, but I thought, live a little. I'll take both. Now give me both cheeses, right? So, but then I discovered bacon, right? Like I remember there's bacon, and I was off the wagon, right? So, because bacon is God's gift to all Southern Baptists for giving up everything else, right? So yeah, at least we can have bacon. And I, I don't know that that's scriptural, but it's got, there's got to be some connection, I think. But, so a friend of mine told me he's on this new diet, right? And he said, I feel better. I feel great. You know, my sleep's better. I'm really focused. I have a lot of energy and all this stuff. And I pretended to be interested for a while. And I said, um, can you eat bacon on this new diet? And he said, yes. And now I was kind of interested, right? And he said, I can eat all the meat I want and, and all the fat I want. And you just can't have root vegetables. And so I said, so you can eat bacon but not beets. And he said, yes. And so now, I, now he really had my attention, right? Because this is the life for me. I hate beets. You know, they're just awful. This is what he said to me. He said, and and I wrote this down because I want to quote this. He said, um, he told me that his body is now in a constant state of ketosis. He said his body no longer relies on glucose, but it now uses ketones as its primary fuel source. I have no idea what that means, right? (laughs) I'm not even sure I have ketones. I've got to be honest, right? Like, I think I have a spleen, but I don't even know what to do with it. So I, I don't know if I have that, but... He said I wasn't in ketosis, and I think he's in a cult or something. But back to bacon, because this is really important, right? So you know you can get vegetarian bacon? Do you guys know that? In our house, we call it bacon, all right? And you can get vegetarian sausage, and we call that falsage, right? And i got to say, it doesn't taste bad. You know, it's not bacon, but it's better than turkey bacon, which is an abomination, I think. But you can find, if you go to the store, you can find plant-based everything. You can find, this is true, look for it. You can find plant-based fish. I'm not sure why, but you can find plant-based pulled pork and plant-based you know, ham and, and spare ribs. It's true, look for it. You'll just take a minute and you'll be amazed, right? And I start to question the commitment of a vegetarian. You know what I mean? Like... How hard is it? You know, we may have overrated this thing. So, but, so you can be a vegan without ever, you know, and not eat vegetables now. Isn't that crazy? Right? So here's my point. I, even when I was a vegetarian, I didn't identify as I'm a lacto-ovo vegetarian, right? Like, that's, that's not really the primary source of my identity. But in the discipline of communication, which is what I primarily do, Part of that discipline includes what we call cultural studies. Now, cultural studies scholars have identified over, check it out, over 90 different gender identities, okay? So, like, I thought it was male and female, right? But there's more than 90 now, 90 different designations. And what's really cool to me about this is this is one of those instances where Scripture and modern science are in 100% agreement, right? Because the Human Genome Project, and we all have kind of heard something about that, right? Your DNA, all of it, is male or female. All of it, right? That's our DNA. We're not, it's not maybe this or that, right? It's one or the other. And, of course, in Genesis, we're all familiar with 127. God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The old Sprite commercial, if you remember this, said, image is nothing, obey your thirst. Remember that? Anybody remember that? God created us in his image. And in Jeremiah, the verse that's up here, right? He, he said to us, by extension through Israel and grafted in and all this, you shall be my people and I will be your God. In his image, we were created. So what happened in the garden is the serpent comes along and says, ignore God's image. That's not what it's about. You can create yourself in your own image. That's, that's essentially what we see, right? So ignore God's image. And so this notion of self-creation, we have two competing visions, don't we? Two competing realities. In communication, we talk about first-order realities and second-order realities. First-order realities are observable things. This pulpit is here, right? This pulpit exists. It's here. That's a first-order reality. What does it mean? What meaning do we tell? That's the second order, okay? So we, we tend to come up with our identities based on um, things like symbols and concepts, God defines us by his creation and the relationships, right? So we come up with symbols, identities, things like this. That's what we try to do to make sense of who we are. God tells us who we are already. God already says, I'll tell you who you are. So the first college president I worked for was a man named Jim Countryman, and he created this new department. And my boss, she was an amazing boss, but she had us, she started a two-day retreat for us to decide who we were going to be and what our goals were. So she invited him and he showed up. He didn't sit down. He didn't even take his coat off. He said, you all can go ahead and do all this today if you want. You can go home if you want. I don't care. I'll pay you. But first thing tomorrow, you get back to work. You don't need to spend time figuring out who you are and what your goal is. I told you who you are, and I told you what your goals were. Get to work, right? And on some, now that's not necessarily good leadership, okay? I'm not suggesting that. But on some level, we already know who we are. We already know what we're supposed to do. Are you with me? Like, we are God's people. So this whole business, and, and I know, you know, I just said gender, and it's really popular, especially kind of in the church, and uh, to talk about gender identifications and all this, but it's way beyond gender. It's all kinds of ways we identify, right? So it's not just about people wanting to choose their pronouns and we play along, right? I don't, <laughs> you can choose whatever pronoun you want about me. I just want to choose my adjectives. I want things like brilliant, amazing, right? <laughs> I'll choose my adjectives. You guys can choose, right? Because the truth is, you know, most times... I identify as tired, you know, I identify as hungry or, you know, things like that, uh, achy maybe. But see, all this stuff is misguided for us to focus on that stuff. As Christians, we already know who we are. We know exactly who we are. And I'm going to read some other verses here in just a minute. But let me just say, if we start with this, if we start with the identity, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Christ, now, yes, I'm a husband 
who married way up. <laughs> I'm a daddy of a pile of amazing children. But all of those things are extensions of my Christian identity. Are you all with me? Right? So those things, and, and by the way, if I say I'm a husband, I can't be acting like a single guy, right? If I say I'm a daddy, I can't act like I have no responsibility for my children. If I say I'm a vegan, I probably shouldn't have food that looks and smells and tastes like meat, right? And if I'm a Christian, I really ought to follow what Christ says. Now, remember when people ask Jesus, right? These people are saying, what's the greatest commandment? What do you say? Two things, right? He said, love God, love people. That's it. We know what we're supposed to do. How do we love God? How do we love people? You shall be my people and I will be your God. This is what it means to be God's people. You are a new creation, sealed with the Holy Spirit, equipped to fulfill his law by loving him. And check this out too. And I'll tell you what I mean by this in a second. You are a poem. You are a poem written by God as a gift to his people. What did I just do? So, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you all know these passages. So, I mean, I'm going to read a few things. I don't mean for you to bounce around. But 2 Corinthians 5.17, you'll recognize it. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The next chapter in Ephesians says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 That word workmanship literally means poetry. Poetry. Like we, not, we aren't some utilitarian kind of, you know, workbench that God created, okay? We are his craft. We are a poem. And what are the good works? That's to love him and to love each other, right? That's the simplicity of it. That's the simplicity of who we are in Jesus Christ. We are told very clearly we are loved by him. And we are to love him and we are to love each other. 1 John 4.11. Again, don't worry about all these. If you want them, let me know. I'll be happy to, to send them to you. 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I could go on and on and on. For the sake of time, I'm not because I want to read something else to you here. Um. I can't resist a couple of these, though, you know? Uh, by this, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Look, a friend of mine was uh, a guy who helped, it's a different friend, right? Helped create BibleGateway.com, right? You maybe are familiar with that. Go to Bible Gateway. Just look up love and stuff like that. Love one another. And you're going to find Scripture is filled with this. Old and New Testament. 
You are a new creation, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Love one another. That's what we do. Examine your thoughts and actions constantly, asking how you are loving God and loving others. And folks, why would any other identity matter to a Christian, right? You are poetry. God wrote your life as a means to show his love to others. I want to read for you. It's kind of long, but I want to read for you John 17. John 17 in in its entirety, okay? It's about 30 verses, and it won't take long. What time is it? We're good. It won't take us long to do this, okay? Um, And I want to read to you. I want you just to see. This is is what's happening here, okay? So Jesus already at this point, the Last Supper is done. So how this chapter starts is after these things. So the Last Supper just happened. So it's before he gets taken away to go to be crucified and, and be raised from the dead, okay? So this is what he's saying. This is sort of like his prayer. John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you here on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before, with you before the world existed. At verse 6, before I pick up, Christ is referred to continually as an advocate. As, you know, we see lots of lawyer commercials, right? He is fighting for us. He's advocating constantly, defending us. Listen to him do it right here at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. At verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. At verse 20, folks, this is Jesus Christ himself praying for us, for us 
today. Check this out. We're almost done. A few verses. I do not ask for these only, the people that were present at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may believe in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is us. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see the, my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is us. This is our charge, okay? This is us as Christians. This is who we are. We are God's people. He is in us. We are in him. Jesus Christ himself is praying that we, just like we know because John wrote this to us, Right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, John and and Paul and others gave this to us so that we can believe. And our role right now is to be the people that allow other people to believe. That's who we are. That's our identity. That's our work. Folks, I hope despite a couple of missing pages that this is is meaningful and, and helps a little bit to understand my... My fear for the church right now, and I don't mean this church at Wasmasaw, I mean the church, Christ's bride, is that we're all over the place. We're trying to identify politically, and we're trying to identify musically. We're trying to identify with, with creeds and, and new doctrines and new all this kind of stuff. And just like Dr. James Countryman said to us as that college president, I told you why you're here. I told you what you're supposed to do, right? And so we, God made us in his image, and he's told us what to do. I I pray that that become our focus. Brother, you want to? I pray that that becomes our focus, that 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 becomes um, our renewed identity, that we continue to think of ourselves in that way. Let's pray as, as Brother Kent comes up. Father God, Lord... If any of these words um, that I spoke today were meant to fall on someone's ears, um, help them to be impactful. But if not, Lord, if I'm in error, please help this just to to roll off of somebody's shoulders and um, to not be confusing or misleading. Lord, I want to be someone who brings you honor and glory. I um, I want that for all of us. Help us, Lord, to be those people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.